Good morning. I thought Tucker was doing a great job leading singing until he got help. <laughs> As he was getting off the stage, he said, maybe we should do that every Sunday. And I appreciate you singing along with that. Thanks to Lake Inori, uh truly for helping. You know, that's probably not one of our most favorite of our children's songs. Uh, we like it, but maybe not in the top ten. And it's probably not even our favorite story in the Bible of Zacchaeus. We're familiar with it, but it's not one of those, what story in the Bible really just changed you? Who, who says the story of Zacchaeus? I, I, I don't think that this one would come on that top of the list at all. And yet, we can learn so much about Jesus in this story, about how he related to Zacchaeus and we can learn about ourselves as well. This event takes place as Jesus enters Jericho. Jericho is a very uh, prominent, rather elite city. Zacchaeus is one of the uh, wealthy, elite people of that whole town. So if you want to follow along in the Bible, uh, we're going to start in Luke chapter 19. If you've got a bulletin, you can turn to the back, and that will give you an outline if you want to follow along, if that will help. But I want to turn to Luke 18 and just kind of open our eyes and see how Jesus related to this man whom everyone else seemed to reject. And let this be a reminder to us uh, about how we can learn. Sometimes we, just like Zacchaeus, can kind of get caught up, especially in our materialistic world, and we can learn as well. So let's begin by seeing first that Jesus invites himself to Zacchaeus' house. But who was Zacchaeus. Well, the first thing we find out about him is that he was a chief tax collector. Look at Luke 19, first two verses. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. I looked up the name Zacchaeus. It's a Jewish name, and do you know what it means? It means righteous. Anyone else see the irony in that? Here is this chief tax collector, and his name means righteous. So anytime you were calling out or calling to or addressing this tax collector, you were calling him righteous. One author I was reading said, to, be, to call the tax collector righteous would be like calling the town prostitute chastity. It's an oxymoron. It did not fit. Well, Luke tells us his name, but the first description he gives is that he was a chief tax collector. Not just tax collector, but chief tax collector. That tells us he was good at it. That tells us he was committed. That tells us he was all in. He's not in the entry level just trying it out. He's doing well with this. He's moved up in the ranks. Harper's Magazine a few years ago did a survey of Americans, and they found out that half of the people that they surveyed would rather be mugged than audited. That tells us about our society, doesn't it? And as bad as we may think we have it, it was much, much worse in Jesus' day. In, in this day, in this time, this setting, tax collectors were considered traitors, and rightfully so. And so Zacchaeus then would be a chief traitor. So we need to think about that when we understand who he is. Uh, Palestine was controlled by the Roman Empire. And so they text all of these countries heavily. But how would a foreign country know whom to tax and, and how much to charge? They wouldn't, not without some insider help. 
So that was how they arranged things. The Roman tax superiors was set a, a, an amount to be collected, and they found local people who were willing to defraud their fellow man to collect that amount, and anything extra was theirs to keep. So there's no way for the everyday common Jewish man to know what his true tax amount was. All he could do was pay what he was asked to pay. There was no recourse. There was no challenge. There was nothing to do except for pay these exorbitant amounts. That's why repeatedly in the Bible, when you read about a tax collector, you read about them being greedy. You read about them being hated. You read about them being despised. They are the lowest of the low. They were not just traitors. They had become rich in the process. So they were easy to hate in that regard. So not only was Zacchaeus a tax collector, but he was that chief tax collector. Almost goes without saying, but here's number two. He was wealthy. Luke tells us this as he's telling us the story. Now, remember what the Bible tells us, that money is not bad. Sometimes we think about money as being evil, but that's not the case. Scripture tells us that God richly provides us with everything to enjoy. And there are so many things that God can do in a good way through the generosity of his people when he blesses them with resources, and they in turn use those to advance the kingdom. That's what Jesus taught often and much about how to deal with money. Paul said rather simply in 1 Timothy 6.10, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. Well, Zacchaeus had become wealthy because he extorted his own people. This was not someone that you would admire and say, well, they worked hard. You know, they, they started a business from the ground up and they put in the long hours and, and they were diligent. And so you you're kind of have joy to see them to have a little financial success. Not at all. Not in this case at all. He was wealthy. He was rich as a direct result of defrauding people, of exploiting his own people. Well, third, and this may be what we remember the most about him, he was short. He was the wee little man. Verse 3, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. Now, there's nothing wrong with being short. In fact, it has some advantages. I was reading about that. One man said this, a short person is the last person to know when it's raining and the first person to know when there's a flood. Okay, I'm with Tucker on the bad jokes. There's two for two. But think about, there seems to be something about the human condition. When somebody is different than you or different than the norm, even the youngest of child, we point to it. We call them out. Why is he short? Why is she tall? Why are they big or are they small? It, it just happens. It, we, we just notice that and, and we comment on that. But do you think Zacchaeus ever suffered ridicule because of being short? Do you think some of those comments were even mean-spirited? Could it be that he was motivated to become a tax collector? And kind of get back at all the digs that he had endured in his developmental years? We don't know. But what we do know is his being short is a key detail in the story. Well, let's keep moving. Notice number four, that Zacchaeus was ambitious. Luke verse, uh, 19, verse 4. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. Now, verse 3, Luke already tells us that he was seeking to see who Jesus was. 
But because of the crowd and because of his being small, short, he couldn't see it was not going to happen unless he thought quickly and acted quickly. Why was he interested in Jesus? This seems to be the the least likely person that would want to know about him. Do you think Zacchaeus anticipated what would happen to him when he met Jesus? Do you think he had a clue that Jesus was about to turn his whole world upside down? Was money no longer enough, even though he had lots? Was he beginning to realize there was more to life than just stuff, and he was missing something? Why else would Zacchaeus go to such extremes? And it could be that when Jesus came by, you know, Jesus was a big deal at the time. He was, he was a celebrity. All, people who didn't know much about Jesus would flock to hear him teach. They, they, they would watch him perform the miracles. So he was a spectacle. So everybody had a little bit of curiosity. We know that from the context. But think about this. So Jesus is coming into town The crowd is aware of it. Everybody's clamoring to see who Jesus is. We get that the crowd is so much that that Zeus cannot see at at all what's happening here. Was there some joy in the crowd? See, what of, of blocking Zacchaeus from seeing? See, this one who had charged them so much tax, they had no recourse for that. But who said they had to be nice to him when he was trying to see? Was there a little bit of joy of just putting their shoulders side by side and blocking the short man from seeing Jesus? So Zacchaeus had to think quickly, come up with a plan B, and he was right about that. He climbed up in the sycamore tree so he would be able to see Jesus. Or maybe number five, Zacchaeus was lonely. That word does not appear in the text. Luke doesn't say that, but how could he not be lonely? From what Luke does tell us about the man. Who would want to be a friend of a traitor? Well, what kind of friend would you have with some? How could you trust someone who made their fortune like that? Did he even know what it was like to have a true friend? You ever heard people say it's lonely at the top? You know, when you're at the, the leadership of your school, your business, or whatever it is, your organization... It's one of those times where if you're in that position, there, there may be times where you doubt, you wonder, are, are people my friends? Are they really supporting me? Or are they just wanting something? Or do they realize that I've got the influence or the power or the leadership to make it happen? Or, or maybe the deep pockets to give. Are they really being my friend? Or do they want something from me? There is, a, in a sense, where there's some loneliness at the top. But Zacchaeus, maybe his situation was just the reverse. Some loneliness at the bottom. Who would want to be down there with him? There had to be loneliness with the reputation that he had, the well-deserved reputation, we might add, to be hated, to be despised. There's a loneliness that comes with it. Had to be. I think Zacchaeus had to be the most shocked person in the crowd with what happened next. Look at verses 5 and 6. Notice here's Jesus' request. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Can we even wrap our brains around this incredible moment? The one who is hated, the one who is despised, 
the, the one that no one loved, cared for, wanted to give the time of day, Jesus calls him by name and invites himself over. Can you just see the crowd as well? Their eyes as big as saucers. Their jaws dropping, not expecting that to happen at all. Even wondering, thinking that maybe they'd shunned him and, and no one was able to even see Zacchaeus because he's too short and he's in the back and they didn't notice that he had climbed up in the tree at all. And what we love about Jesus is Jesus saw Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was looking for Jesus, seeking for Jesus. So that's what Luke tells us. And Jesus saw him as well. You know, most of the time when we think about Jesus and we describe him or think about how he's depicted in the Bible, we see him as being a friend to the outcast. That he, he is around those that no one else wanted to be around. He's around the sinners. He's around the lonely. He's around the disenfranchised. Let the little children come to me. We love that about Jesus. That's my Jesus. But the Bible also tells us that Jesus was comfortable to be around people of position and wealth. He cared for them as well. When you read through the Gospels, you see him spending time with the rich and the poor, both. People like Nicodemus, people like Joseph of Arimathea, and people like Zacchaeus in this story. See, Jesus knew who wanted a free meal. Jesus knew who was coming to him from a selfish motive. What can you do for me? And Jesus knew when there were those who were trying to take him down, trying to, to trick him and catch him in his words. Even more, Jesus knew who was truly seeking him. And Jesus saw that in Zacchaeus. Jesus could see the hearts, and he could size up people correctly. Now, we, you and I, we're not as good. We think we are. But we miss it all the time. We're quick to make assumptions about people, and we often verbalize what we think about people. Well, she's, she's so rich, she wouldn't be interested at all in spiritual matters. Really? Or, or he's, he's so consumed with the fast-paced life, he's just living for himself, that there's no reaching him at all. Is that true? Maybe. Maybe not. Is there someone in your life in a similar situation as Zacchaeus, where everyone else has kind of written them off, they're not interested in spiritual things. They don't want to know Jesus. I mean, they are almost too far gone in our estimation. They've maybe experienced wealth and all the pleasures and success of life. But maybe they've learned that it's not enough. It's not what really matters. There's got to be something more to it. And if they really came to know Jesus, their lives would change for the better. So Jesus makes this request of Zacchaeus. I want to spend time with you today. I'm coming to your house. So let's notice the reaction of the crowd, because this is important to the story. Verses 6 and 7. So Zacchaeus hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He is gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Think about this. This is not unusual. This happened all the time in Jesus' life. Whatever he did, there was somebody there second-guessing his decision. Isn't that true? I mean, from, from day one, 
he should do this. He shouldn't do that. If he knew what kind of sinner this woman was, then he wouldn't be allowing her to do this. Remember, we studied that two weeks ago. Or if we knew that this demon-possessed man, that they would jump out and kill our pigs, well, just, he just needs to leave town. People grumbled then because they thought they knew what was best. They looked at the situation and they made a decision and they spoke openly about it, grumbled about it. They thought they knew who deserved his attention, his healing, his love, his grace. So I was studying through this story. There was a part of me that thought, I, let's just skip over the story of Zacchaeus. Everybody knows it. You know the song. We know the lesson. And yet, do we? There is so much still we can learn from the story. So don't miss it. Because you and I can be just like the crowd without even thinking about it. We, too, grumble. We, too, complain. We gripe out loud when things don't go as we like. Well, if the elders would just do this instead of that, if the preacher had not said that, if the women in the church were more like this, if the men were more like that, whatever it is, we think we know, and we're not ashamed to just talk about it, grumble about it. It's common. I do it, you do it, we do it. It's not just church. We do it at work. We do it with politics or our country. It, it's just everywhere. Grumbling has become common. But get this, those around you, they hear your grumbling. They hear your judgmental spirit. They see your, your condemning attitude in the way you see a situation and you fold your arms and you just quickly size it up, telling everybody how right you are and the way you think and how wrong they are in the way someone responded to a situation. Luke said they all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. What if they had said, oh my, could it be that Jesus could turn Zacchaeus around? Wouldn't that be great? Don't you know his mom and dad would be so pleased? Because everybody hated him. Everybody despised him. He was a chief tax collector. But that was not their spirit at all. In this story about Zacchaeus, he's not the only one seeking. Did you catch that detail? Yes, he's seeking to know who Jesus was. But we too need to seek those. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Brother, if anyone is caught in any transgression, look what it says here. You should thank God that you're not like him. It doesn't read that way, does it? Or you should stay far, far away from them. It doesn't read that way either. Or you should tell everyone how wrong they are. Oh, how good we can be at all three of those. Look what it says. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. If you wear the name of Jesus, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, if you are a disciple of Christ, don't be a grumbler. Don't be quick to judge and tell everybody how right you are and how wrong others are. Don't be judgmental. Realize that you don't know everything. You're not Jesus. You can't see their hearts. You don't know their motive. And it's not your place to verbalize your opinion. Instead, think about this. If we, if we're talking about Jesus being full of grace and truth, we too can be full of grace and truth. Have you thought about that? That Jesus wants us to be more like him in that way? 
that when we see a situation, we can respond with grace and truth. We see souls who need a Savior. See, church is a family where we help each other along the way, not biting each other, criticizing each other. And just like Jesus, we're looking, constantly looking for others who don't know Him. Because we know if they could just know Him, if they could just have an encounter with Jesus, the real Jesus, it would forever change them. You know, if you've been visiting with us lately or, or watching our messages online, I want you to know that's, that's really who we are as a church. That's who we need to be. Just helping each other to find Jesus, to walk with Him. And when one of us is lagging behind, we reach back and we pull them on. We help one another. We ask the hard questions. We study the Scriptures to find what the answers are. And we help one another in the journey. I often wonder what happened when Jesus went to his house. What did they say? What did they talk about? Do you ever wonder about that? I mean, the story is so short, but there's so many details left out. Bruce Larson, in his commentary, he asked some questions about Zacchaeus. Did you ever wonder what happened when Jesus went to this man's house for an impromptu luncheon? Do you think that when you're in the presence of God, he sits and asks you, how are you doing? Tell me about your life. Do your children respect you? How did you make your money? Are you content? Talk to me. We don't know, he says, what was said in their lunchtime conversation. But I do have a feeling that when you sit in the presence of unconditional love, which is what Jesus is, he makes you the agenda. Brings us to the next point. Notice the response of Zacchaeus. Verse 8. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods that I, I give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. The change that takes place in Zacchaeus is astounding. To go from a, a lifestyle of every choice being about himself, benefiting himself, it's all about self, to now... Making things right. Giving to those who are in need. Only Jesus can make that kind of change in a person. See, this is not about keeping the law. Because what Zacchaeus, who, who was a Jew, he would know the law. This is much more than what the law demanded. Why? Why did he do this? Because you recall in the previous chapter, in Luke chapter 18, and we're going to dig into this more in our small group discussion tonight, the rich young ruler came up to Jesus. Luke 18, verse 22, Jesus said, Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Well, when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. That young man is the only one that Jesus ever gave that reply to. Why? Because Jesus knew his heart. Jesus knew that, even though, knew that even though he was claiming to have perfectly kept the law, he had missed the point. Totally missed the point. In chapter 18, we have no record of Jesus asking Zacchaeus to give anything. And yet he's so generous, extremely generous. I'm giving half of what I have to the poor. How do you explain that? I can't help but think when you experience... The presence of Jesus. 
when you truly come to know who he is, it changes you like no one else, like nothing else. It's not about keeping laws and rules. It's about you are so much in the presence of what is good and right and holy. You're aware of how much you blow it, your own sin, and you're motivated. I've got to do something. I've got to make a change. And that's what he does here. This transformation takes place in his heart, but also in his mind. It's not just an emotional reaction. It's a whole new way of thinking. Look at Romans 12, verse 2. It says, Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. God changes how we think, how we reason, our whole thought process. Many of you have experienced that kind of change in your priorities. And you know that you are no longer full of guilt and shame. Now you have the joy of the Lord, and it brings you incredible delight to follow Him and to do for Him and, and to be generous with what you've got. And all of that is because of your relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and here's what we need to learn from the story of Zacchaeus. And really putting this in with the, what happened in the chapter before. It's so easy for us to look in the Bible and say, well, tell me how much I have to give. You know, give me a percentage and then, and then I'll, I'll do my best to do that. But when we approach our following God with that kind of legalistic mindset... We miss the joy, we miss the spirit, and we may be extra generous, but yet we're miserable. We have to all apply that in our own lives, with our own opportunities, with our own mistakes. I read about the, a letter that was sent to the financial officer of Pizza Hut. It was from a, a delivery boy in North Carolina. Here's what the letter said. My reason for writing to you today is to make you aware of a common practice among delivery drivers to clip coupons and attach them to delivery tickets in order to return more money into their own pockets at the end of the night. All the drivers at the stores where I work were involved in this. In my best and fairest estimate, I calculated that I made approximately $500 to $700 more than I should have due to my fraudulent use of coupons during my time that I was employed. But as a Christian, I know that is not the way we are called to live. When I asked Christ in my life a year and a half ago, I began to ask that he reveal areas in my life and in my past that I needed to change and make right. This is one area that I felt convicted about. I asked that you would accept the check that I have enclosed so that I may clear my debt as well as my conscience. And enclosed was a check for $700. When Zacchaeus, we don't know what was said, but when Zacchaeus spent time with Jesus, the response was restitution and generosity and honesty. Jesus gave him grace and truth. And that changed everything for Zacchaeus. You see, when you've truly received that love and that pardon that only Christ can give, you move from stinginess to generosity, from fear to faith, from indifference to love. Let me close with this. Let's notice the result of this encounter. Just when you think it couldn't get better, it does. Jesus makes time for this person that no one else 
wanted to give the time of day. Everyone else had given up on. Everyone else had, had agreed to hate because of what he was doing to the people. But look at the result in Luke chapter 19, verse 9. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. Notice he doesn't say, well, you're forgiven, but you don't have to give that much back. You don't have to give that much back to the poor. You don't have to restore fourfold. Just, just pay back what you owe. Jesus didn't say that at all. It doesn't stop him. Grace meant that Zacchaeus was forgiven. Truth meant, demanded, that he do everything in his power to make things right. And we love this spirit about Zacchaeus because he's so unbridled in wanting to do that. One author said that Zacchaeus must have wrestled with the question that theologians Wingley posed, do I possess things or do things possess me? And I believe that's a question that all of us need to ask ourselves from time to time. Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house. But I want you to notice the repentance preceded the salvation. Repentance, what the world thinks of, that just means to feel sorry. And while it involves that, it's much more than that. It really just means change directions. 180 degrees. And that's what we read in the story here. We demonstrate that we are a different person. And let me show you how. What that looks like. That's what Zacchaeus is helping us to see here. And then look at Luke 19, verse 10. Jesus gives us a monumental truth about himself. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. You probably know that verse, but did you remember that that verse is in the context about Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus, who was seeking to know who Jesus was. There are two seekers in this story. Do you get that? There's Zacchaeus, who's short, who wanted to see him, had to climb up the tree, but there's also Jesus, who sees Zacchaeus, sees his heart, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. The Lord says in Jeremiah 29, 13, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So anyone here today seeking Jesus? Can we think about that often? About seeking Jesus? Because whether you know it or not, He is seeking you. Always looking to see, where are you? What are you consumed with? What's important to you? How are you living? Are you looking to Him? We're going to sing a song with a simple, powerful line, All to Jesus I Surrender. That is an easy song to sing because we're familiar with it. And yet, that is a most challenging song to sing and be truthful about it. All to Jesus, I surrender. For some of you, that may mean an initial decision to follow Jesus, to become one of his disciples, to, to obey his command to be baptized, to let him make you a new creation. The Bible calls that born again, to surrender all. And for others, maybe it's time to realign your life with his I say, all to Jesus, I surrender. For me, it might mean more of my stuff, or or maybe holding it more loosely, or it might be surrendering my griping heart 
my grumbling spirit. All to Jesus I surrender. If you need Jesus, won't you come as we stand and sing to encourage you? Oh